We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer Chris Krueger, and we're here talking about Week One of the Buffalo Bills training camp. Chris, the way the weekend started was pretty nice, wasn't it? Like it just seems like, <laughs> yeah, heading into training camp every year is it's always fun. It's always a fun time. This year was a little bit better than most, I'd say. I mean, I think that uh, usually the cover one guys make it a tradition to try to come in for camp, correct? Yeah. Okay. So I asked Eric, I was like, did you guys get media credentials? And he openly laughed at me. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of persona non grata. Yeah, he legit laughed in my face. <laughs> like, I didn't know it was that bad. No, it was that bad. Uh, so the the weekend started... With the annual meetup of the From Our Mom's Basement crew, which is kind of the the pejorative term we started referring to this collection of content creators that we kind of just happen to go out and get fucked up with. We dread, that's probably putting it bluntly. We get together, we usually pick a local establishment, this time it was Uncle Jumbo's uh, tasting room over on Elm, over on in the Elmwood area. Yep, Elmwood and Bryant. The great place. I had a lot of fun there. I actually like that it's small. Chris, obviously, not happy. Well, I mean... when you First of all, you tell your version of the story first. All right. When it was announced meet up Uncle Jumbo's, I'm cool with it at the tasting room. But also in the back of my head, I know that Uncle Jumbo's is more known for, oh, we do, we have cocktails in a can, which has just never been, nobody's perfected it. Nobody's good at it. I had the bombsicle, not that great. 
And I knew I would have to be basic ordering something at the bar. So I was just getting... I first went with, all right, old-fashioned. That's simple enough. Sugar, bourbon, bitters. You can't really mess that up. Until I saw the bartender muddling a cherry and an orange slice (laughs) in the glass. And then also adding sweet vermouth. That's for an old-fashioned, not a Manhattan. Okay. And then second drink that I got for myself and my landlord were Manhattans because I was like they can't do old fashions correctly so let me take it down from a three ingredient cocktail to a two ingredient cocktail and I went with a Manhattan better but also they had ice in it you don't put ice in a Manhattan or an orange slice so they still found a way to screw it up now, you have to take into account who you're talking to when you're like when you're hearing these criticisms come out of Chris's mouth, you have to take into account that this is a man who uses sea salt hairspray. This is a man who literally spends his free time shaving grapefruits and using jiggers in his kitchen trying to so something like liquors I've never even heard of before like uh lavender what what was it like lavender uh all the gin that I have no 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 you guys said like a lavender spirit and then there was something called like aviation or something I don't know that aviation is a gin cocktail that uses creme de violet yeah creme de violet Okay, that sounds like a car. It sounds like something you paint your wall, not something you pour in a glass. My home bar is better than Uncle Jumbo's. Because your home bar is what you do. It's a part of your identity now. Yeah, I have. Of course, it's better than a bar. I have like over 30 bottles of bourbon, over 20 bottles of rum. I'm getting close to 20 bottles of gin. What I'm trying to get across to all of you is that Chris has become bougie, so you can't take him out anywhere. I mean, I am, I am right now, I am drinking a Red Raider cocktail, which is bourbon, Cointreau, lemon, and grenadine. You know what I'm drinking? Whiskey on ice. Which ones, is, which, <laughs> which did you grab? I uh, went West Bottoms. God damn it. Why? Because I only bought one bottle of that, and I've had one cocktail. That's why I. That's why I'm nursing it. I'm gonna hide it. That's why. That's why I went easy I'm on it. Hiding it, you're not gonna have any more. That's why I, I went easy on it. So the, Chris has become bougie. So you can't take his reviews on bars. Like that was the night it occurred to me. I can no longer take Chris's reviews, like seriously. I believe people listening to this have my side, based on the fact that. Muddling cherry and orange in an old fashioned and adding sweet vermouth. That's just not right. The guy was wearing skinny jeans. What makes you think he knows anything about making an old Manhattan or an old fashioned? I, was, I rest my case. I was I was about this close to becoming Dave Kateris and going <laughs> behind the bar the same way he went into that kitchen to to find to make his own wings. That was hilarious. So it was a fun meetup, though. You know, everyone, uh, uh, Chad Didaminisis from Expected Buffalo came out. The whole Cover One crew was there. I got to meet a bunch of those guys. And it was fun, like Josh Barnett, hilariously. So of the Buffalo News, he makes an appearance, which is funny because I'm blocked by half of his writers. He's nice to me. I don't know if he knows how much his staff hates my guts. Uh, Dr. Kyle Trimble came out. Eric Smeal, some of the other like listeners and fans of our various shows and podcasts. It was a good time. And that kind of set the stage for, it was a gorgeous night out. We all had a lot of laughs, all had a lot of fun. And the next day, I took my son to his first NFL training camp. 
And it was a it was a blast. For him only being two years old, it was a great time because I'm not an idiot. I had a handle on what my son's capabilities were going to be. We got to camp, we stretched his legs a little bit from the bus ride shuttle over. We go up into the stands. We, you know, we walk around a little bit, let him see everything first. Then we go up into the stands, we watch some of practice. He sees he gets to watch his first touchdown, like his first in-person I, my quarterback threw a touchdown and he cheered and yelled touchdown and then started giving high fives to random strangers. And it was like a real proud moment of mine. And then I got him out of there because that's about Chris. What's the attention span of a child to sports? It's pretty small. I don't know. It, it depends on. It depends on the child. I have seen a child. And I know you won't believe me, but I have seen a and heard of a child being able to sit and watch a baseball game at home. That's wild. Yeah. That's crazy. That kid's on the spectrum. There's no way around that. Um, but then there's all kinds of games and stuff. The, he was playing, you know, Giant Connect 4, throwing a football through the thing to get, like, tchotchkes and cookies from the Wegmans tent. My proudest moment came to so the NFL. They set up the NFL Play 60 exhibit where it's like tackling dummies and you know these things that the kids have to high step over and then they break through the dummies and jump like do like a belly flop onto the pads or you can throw them a football and they can try to catch it i'm glad he's getting involved in that right now because my son there's photos on our twitter at rock report got low on this thing he did it was exact perfect fraud taylor de george who follows us on twitter had the perfect breakdown of it because it's that's the technique you break down become the low man Banana, which is where you kind of extend your hips and you drive your hands upwards, and then rattlesnake, and you push your feet, and that's when you really start to dig in. He hit that thing with perfect technique, and my wife looked over, and I had, like, tears in my eyes. It was one of those proud father moments that just gets you, you know? Well, I was going to tell you, you need to get your son involved in that now because he doesn't want to end up like you 11 years ago when you're weighing 340. ha, 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 ha. No, he does not. And if he's pushing 340, it better be, be like it better be well also benching 300. But he had a blast. You know, he did the whole meet Billy Buffalo. He ran into this gorilla dude, like something Buffalo Bob, like this big wooly gorilla head thing on. And one of the students who was there taking photos for St. John Fisher's like alumni paper got a photo of my son giving him a high five. It was just a cool day. It was a great day to be at camp. Watched very little of practice, but yet it was completely rewarding. And I'm, I hope that people who use the tickets that I handed out this week had similarly with their friends, family, whoever they chose to take, had a good time with it. And then after that day, I packed up a wife and kid and then trucked on down probably about 10 minutes across town to the Cover One Airbnb where ah, the Airbnb list, we, we did kind of a cookout. Me, myself, I got to meet the whole Cover One crew, which was nice, kind of getting to know the new faces that they've got working over there. When an Airbnb- were, there were there people there that weren't at uh, Uncle Jumbo's? Yes, there was a couple. Who was there? Uh, I don't even remember their names now. I could, If I saw a picture of them, I could tell you I know that guy. We also decided that whether Eric and Greg like it or not, um, we're going to open up some sub-chapters to the Cover One uh, family of content. Uh, there's going to be Cover One Politics- uh, cover one social issues, uh, cover one recipes, all of which will be spearheaded by myself. By recipe recipes, you also mean cocktail recipes? Both, whatever. 
I can do that. I mean, you did Molotov me, cocktail recipes. You did I call don't me care. Bougie earlier. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna start a fake Twitter handle. <laughs> and yeah. it's gonna be cover. It's gonna be cover one politics, and they're gonna be like, "What?" And we're just gonna start tweeting just insanity. Just I. <laughs> I honestly wish I could be the, have been there for the actual conversation because I know you're keeping it on the surface, but in my head, I am aware. Of the conversation you might have had with Greg and probably Aaron. Well, the thing is, what I did was I made for one. Well, politics. no, what I what I did was I had I, I I pulled the power move. I got the underlings involved first, and I was like, "See how we're all having this political discourse? What if?" And then when Greg came out to be like, "Hey guys, how's the grill going?" I go, uh, "I just subverted your football podcast. I'm about to take it in a really dark direction." That's a great idea. <laughs> Uh, no, it was a great weekend. It was a great time. I'm really pumped to see everybody who came out, for everybody, all the listeners who stopped by to say hi, the people I ran into at training camp who stopped by to say hi to me and my, my family. I really appreciate it. So week one of Buffalo Bills training camp is in the books. Chris, there's a whole lot of things people are talking about, right? Everybody has, there's guys doing podcasts after every single fucking practice. There's people who are doing shows, trying to break down target counts, and who, like, well, this quarterback was the prime, this this wide receiver was the primary read on this play and this play and this play. Go to cover one and listen to that podcast. That's exhausting. That's I'm not, not us. Doing that. I'm not fucking doing that. <laughs> That's not us. There were some takeaways, though, right? We all have them. We all kind of absorb this information, and we draw different things from it. For me, my mind went in a couple different directions. If you're talking about what I took away from this opening portion of training camp, and I mean, obviously, we've got a lot to cover here, but I'll start with this. The Jordan Poyer contract situation, and just how this might be Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott's biggest flex to date. We're in the midst of one of the most exciting off-seasons of Buffalo Bills football in decades, Everybody's relatively happy about the directions of things. And even there were very few dark clouds, like even pessimists like me, raging pessimists, have a hard time finding anything to really carp about when it comes to the Buffalo Bills in 2022. Correct or incorrect? Correct. Okay. If you could try to find one, it's the Jordan Poyer situation. Obviously, there's the dynamic of what does he want? What are his contract demands? Are his contract gonna d- demands going to be... I mean, he's obviously an important part of the football team. But will that jeopardize us from keeping a younger asset like an Ed Oliver or a Tremaine Edmonds? D- I mean, d- in the case of Tremaine Edmonds, I'm sure there's fans out there who would make try to make the case that Poyer is far more important to this team than him. I, I couldn't tell you because we haven't really seen the team without Tremaine Edmonds for an extended period of time. So there's no way to know that. But also, like, if that became the thing of Jordan Poyer's contract versus a Dawson Knox extension, you'd probably have a little bit of trepidation about that, wouldn't you? Yeah. So, we talked earlier this summer about how his appearance at OTAs and minicamp, despite the fact that a deal didn't appear to be imminent, spoke to the culture McDermott and Bean had created here since 2017. Just his overarching sense of family and accountability that really hadn't existed here for a long, long time. At the same time, Poyer wants to be paid. What he, and he wants to be paid what he thinks he's owed is an all-pro safety. 
the fact that he hired of all agents Drew Rosenhaus speaks to the fact that he's not fucking around when it comes to this thing. Now, Drew Rosenhaus, in 2008, a Maxim article on Rosenhaus mentioned that at the time, if you Googled, this is, two, this is 2008, if you Googled Rosenhaus plus asshole, it generated more than 1,400 hits. <laughs> Not a well-liked guy by any stretch. Players love him. The players who he works for anyway. But his fellow agents have historically referred to him as a quote-unquote sleazeball, a quote-unquote scumbag, a quote-unquote unscrupulous prick, and basically a guy who isn't afraid to go beyond street level and take the fucking subway if he has to in order to get him his clients and himself a payday. Let me ask you this. Rosenhaus, being an asshole, how much of that has to do with T.O. doing cardio and sit-ups in the driveway oh but he dude he's he was an asshole long before that we're going to touch on that in a second i'd expect even a mediocre agent i think who who was genuinely interested in earning their commission on a sizable contract extension for a player to advise his player to stage a quote-unquote hold-in that's that that's the new thing that's in vogue you don't hold out because you don't want to lose your money, you know, your practice and bonuses and things like that for showing up. Plus, it shows you that you're a team guy. Yeah, you come in, you're in the building, you just refuse to participate. You force the team's hand. And nobody would be quicker to suggest that than Drew Rosenhaus. But here comes training camp, and Jordan Poyer is not only on the field and not only practicing, but also taking to the podium for Q&A with the media, saying things like this. Not in my mind, no. Um, you know, I feel uh, I want to be here. Uh, you know, so you know that's this is that's how I feel. I want to be here. I wanted to come here and show that you know I'm ready to play and I can still play at a high level. Um, and you know, I want to continue to be a leader for this team and continue to do what I can to help help this team win football games. Jordan Poyer training camp press conference. You can find that on buffalobills.com. That was his response to the question, like. Basically, did it cross your mind to hold out? Does it still cross your mind? Are you nervous about playing without a long-term contract or any kind of security in place? And that was his response. Now, doesn't that fly in the face of everything that the business of the NFL has taught us over the last 20 or 30 years? Yeah. Okay. What's crazier is that Poyer isn't the only one here for camp. His agent, Drew Rosenhaus, is at practice. He's at practice. The man is in the building. So if you don't think there's a major amount of back-channeling taking place here, you're crazy. Let me ask you this. Where is Rosenhaus? He's based out of probably New York City? I believe Florida. Okay. I believe he's actually based out of Florida. And I took it a step further in my research of Rosenhaus. Did you look up his flight info? Because I would just say if he was based in New York City... You know, that's like a, what, 45-minute flight from New York City to Rochester? Like, that can be... You could go from New York City to Rochester and back in a day, no problem. I believe he's based out of Florida. I believe. I have... But I went to fanspo.com, which is a website that that apparently exists to build, like, customizable NFL and NBA trade scenarios. What? Fanspo? Spo? Fanspo. F-A-N-S-P-O.com. You know what? I read that website name. And I immediately think of the Always Sunny episode where 
Charlie gets taken for a spa day. I feel like you're trying. You're not finishing the word. Are you trying to say spaghetti? You want to take me for a spaghetti day? I feel like that should be fan sport. That should be fansport.com. Am I not right? Am I wrong? And then he, and then he showed up with spaghetti at the yeah. movies because he's yeah. like, "Why in, are you talking a, about spaghetti in a plastic bag?" Am I not wrong? Fan spo. Are you trying to say sport? Yeah, it's a terrible fansport.com. Fans it's, it's a terrible fucking website name. But they aggregate agent representation data as part of their database. Rosenhaus and his Rosenhaus Sports Representation manages 100 active NFL contracts across 27 teams with a total portfolio of $1.1 billion. He's the NFL's second most active agent behind Josh, agent, uh, Josh Allen's agent, Joe Landrum of CAA Football which is an offshoot of CAA Creative, which is basically the world's largest talent representation. Basically the ESPN of agencies. Basically. To put it bluntly, the dude is a fucking whale, right? He's a killer whale. The fact that he's at Bill's training camp in person when he could be doing an untold million of other things at the time. All while watching his player play on the field, doing live practice drills against what are probably his best wishes. This isn't going on unless there is something cooking, correct? Yeah. And yet, Bean, he's not giving up anything. This was him during his press conference. Drew and I have a great relationship, as you know, do us and Jordan and, um, you know, Drew and I have many conversations. This just happened to work out uh, for him to come up here and and do this to start camp. But we're good. Uh, you know, I don't talk about negotiations. You know that. Um, but you know, love Jordan. Drew's great to work with, and that's probably the extent that you know I'd be willing to talk about it. There he is Brandon Bean is training camp press conference. <laughs> oh yeah, forgot the laugh. This is what's hilarious. There's a moment of silence. That moment of silence, Chris, even fooled you. The repo- and I knew it was coming. The reporters in question, folks, at the end of that statement, there's a moment of silence. And Brandon Bean just kind of flippantly goes, are, are we done here? Nobody has anything else? And everyone laughs because they're dumbfounded. The same way I was when I hear it. Because first of all, did you just say that you love working with Drew Rosenhaus? One of the most reviled figures in sports. You, you, you love working with him? You have a great working relationship with... But that's like saying, you know who I'm good friends with, Chris? The devil. Me and Satan. We're buddies. We get along. We talk. Christmas cards. Okay, but most people think that um, the devil is a could be fictional. Somebody real. It's like you're Hitler. I'm real good friends with Hitler or Manson. Charles yeah, Manson. Yeah, Charlie Manson. Me and Charlie yeah. Manson. We're on a first-name basis. It's cool. We exchange cards. Yeah, order your ex-girlfriend. I'd rather see her in jail than Charlie Manson, if we're being completely honest. But I'm listening to this, and I hear that, and I can't help but smile just seeing this pan out. He's cool like the other side of the fucking pillow. Well, not only negotiating with one of the NFL's best, most hated agents on one of his most crucially important players... But he's also doing it in person, right? Seemingly haven't opened the fucking door and welcomed this guy into his training camp with little fear that it'll create waves. And that's important, Chris, because you said you made a comment earlier about the T.O. thing. Yeah. Oh, no. It predates all of that. 
In July of 1996, Sports Illustrated reporter Michael Bamberger. Bamberger. Wasn't that a department store in the 80s? Bambergers? Call in if you know. I remember that being a thing in a commercial parody for SNL. Okay. Where whatever they were selling on SNL, it was available at Bamberger's. Bamberger's. I think that's real. I don't know. Who knows? Call in if you know. He wrote an in-depth piece on Rosenhaus in 1996 and noted that the Dolphins' front office and head coach Don Shula, who had assembled a team that kind of is a lot like the 2022 Buffalo Bills, and that they were preseason Super Bowl favorites, actually blamed Rosenhaus for not only their 9-7 and finish, but also their loss to the Buffalo Bills in the wildcard round, saying that his cutthroat tactics and negotiating style ruined key pieces of the chemistry and motivation that they were depending on to get them to the finish line in that season. It got Shula fired and wrecked what might have been their best shot at getting Dan Marino to a title. I would argue 84. Okay, you There's can argue the, that. It was the only time the Dolphins got to a Super Bowl with... Marino. Okay, you can argue that, but this is coming straight from the mouth of team executives saying, we blame this dickhead for everything that happened that season. And yet, Bean has no concerns. He's up there cracking jokes. It's incredibly rare to have a GM who, ahead of a season like this, has this type of understated confidence in his vision and his negotiating skills to create a scenario like this. And if he pulls it off, if this goes well, Chris, Jordan Poyer continues. Because think about this. If, if, the, if the contract thing doesn't get resolved in the next week or two, you could almost picture a world where the player goes, all right, maybe I am, maybe it starts to second guess. Maybe I am stupid for coming out here, risking my future. Now, today, Ryan Jensen tore his ACL. Is that confirmed? Not Alleg- confirmed yet, but allegedly. But when the GM takes the podium after practice and just talks about how terrible they feel for him, you know it's bad, right? They're without guard, center guard. One of the guards replaced by Shaq Mason. Mm-hmm. Not looking good in Tampa. No, at least not on the interior offensive line. But shit like this can just happen. So if the contract doesn't get done in a week two weeks you run the risk that hey this guy's agent is just like around the building and oh, he's been here he's he's play- i don't know who he's had conversations with i don't know who he's made inroads with he could be back channeling like what happened to them with the miami dolphins he could be back channeling behind our gm's back it, it it can get ugly there's a lot of ways this thing can go sideways and yet bean is loose he's loose if he comes out of this thing with what is ultimately a fair deal for both the player and the team and keeps a key cog in the execution of this team's Super Bowl caliber defense, playing the same brand of football that he's known for and that we thrive on, I argue that this would anoint him as maybe the best GM in the NFL, don't you think? Contractual gangster? Contractual gangster. Let me ask you this. If you're being, what's, what's the contract? I don't know, because you you look at corollaries and you try to find them, it's hard. Because a lot of the players who win like a lot of players who win all pro safety How old is aren't Poyer? in their thirties. Is he he's thirty one? 
I think he's older than that. Let me check. 32? Do, 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 pro football if reference. he's 31 or 32, I would think that... He was born in 1991. He was He is 31 years old as of right now. Okay, so you're not going to give him more than like a three-year extension. And so this is it. This becomes the, the issue. Because when you look at some of the other safeties that were signed to sizable deals, who also were pro bowlers and all pros, they, they had more road left in their career. And also, the teams that they played for weren't kind of set up the way the bills are i mean right now there's kind of this uh, thing that you look at and you say okay we need to get younger we need to get cheaper because we've got new contracts young contracts coming up look at we talked uh during the offseason about what a star what a wrenching thing star latule's bridge year because of the covid opt-out threw into brandon bean's kind of plan his long-term plan for cap solvency and then he had to kind of get creative and had less money to deal with. He would have been gone a year sooner, which would have opened up more money for him to do more things when certain players are going to come available. This situation could end up in the same ballpark. Like, he wasn't expecting to have to do this. I'm sure he was expecting one of these safety picks to pan out enough that they could replace Poyer. Then he goes and has the best season a year before he's supposed to be a free agent. And he's looking for some security. If you're going to win a Super Bowl, do you need Jordan Poyer? Maybe. Yeah. And so that's the thing you have to think about is, is jeopardizing the future. And my my future cap solvency, the same way Star Latula threw a wrench in my plans, is it worth jeopardizing my future plans over winning a Super Bowl right now if that's the thing that I'm going to need? It's, it's going to be interesting to watch how he plays this. But I just, as a fan, I get off knowing that my GM has no fear. He's not blinking when it comes to dealing with one of, one of the NFL's most ruthless negotiators. And I promise you that Bean will not be the only thing we talk about tonight. But it, this guy kind of stole the show for anybody who's looking for headlines and things to talk about that aren't being just torn apart by every other podcast under the sun. There was a question asked to him in the same interview that you just heard a clip from about the team's approach to addressing cornerback this offseason and how he was approaching it now that the offseason pro- program had started given that the only real move he made all offseason was to add a rookie despite several veteran players being available at the cornerback position. Bean responded by saying he's going to be watching how Dane and Elam acclimate to working together as a legit NFL tandem and then followed it up with this kind of mercurial quote. He says, if not... We'll definitely pay attention to the veteran market, whether that's trading for a guy or a guy that's unemployed. So he has thought about it, Chris. Like, it is a thing that has crossed his mind. But then later on, during a totally unrelated line of questioning, when he was talking about pending contract extensions, he essentially told the media that it's going to be difficult, given the decisions they have to make in the salary cap, because for practical purposes, they have to get under the salary ceiling first before they can do anything. The team, if you go to Spotrack.com, they're currently $24 million over the cap with their current contract load. Now, if you look at Spotrack, Spotrack's a nice tool to have because it kind of takes some of the guesswork out of this. They estimate that the top 51 contracts the Bills will carry into the season, just them kind of guessing this player will be there, this player will be there, these are the players that are going to get cut. Leaves them with about $3.9 million in cap space. So for fans that are irritated that it doesn't seem like he's done enough to address the cornerback room, I hope that's a sobering concept for you, right? $3.9 million. 
the team knows that it has a weakness here, depending on how Elam develops, but there just might not be much they can do about it financially. Two things to consider when it comes to this dynamic. According to reports, Elam's athleticism is flashing in in camp all over the place, which is nice. It's the reason he was a first-round selection. Unfortunately, he's also been on the receiving end of some absolutely brutal reps whenever going up against our first-team offense. Is this where we talk about um, Elam and Diggs? Is this that section of the podcast? Yeah. where It's been interesting to watch these two. Apparently, he's had a dust-up with Diggs, similar to the way Del Rio had a dust-up at the Capitol. Jesus Christ. Cover one, cover one politics, baby. Be on the lookout for it because we're coming. Similar things. Oh, my God. Um, so let me compose myself here. That was... <laughs> Get a little alcohol in me. I can I can make people laugh. I, 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 Jesus. <laughs> All right. I'm back. I guess when I hear that, what I think is, okay, the kid knows he's getting his ass kicked by one of the NFL's best covermen. Uh, best wide receivers. He's not one of the NFL's best cover men. And you just, he's going to do, what I, I kind of like is that he's a gamer. He goes, okay, here's a guy who two years ago led the league in receiving yards. Uh, he's a bona fide stud. Everyone knows he's the alpha wide receiver here in the, I would argue until Tyreek Hill showed up, he was the best wide receiver in the division. I don't know about that. Who would you put up against him? In the AFC East, well, no one. I mean, I, I think no it's Diggs. A, I'm saying well, no, Diggs being a, the number one wide two, receiver. It's a two way street. You need the quarterback and wide receiver. Okay, so so uh, Tyreek Hill has a lesser quarterback. Okay, so you still think that Diggs and Allen are the best wide receiver quarterback combo? Yeah, un- okay. unless unless we're going to see this year Tyreek Hill just dominate on wide receiver screens or catching balls within five yards of the line of scrimmage. <laughs> they said during this uh, during, during uh, day one and two on training camp in Miami, that Tua has now underthrown him on multiple balls. Like, they're like, he still catches them, but he has to come back for them. <laughs> so, take take from that what you will. But so the kids get, he, he's in, he knows he's in the deep end of the swimming pool, and he's just trying to compete, and I like that. I like the fact that this rookie is getting his teeth kicked in, but he's coming back with some, you know, what do they refer to it to in hockey? Chris, the, the hockey analogy would be, he's got some jam. He's yeah. showing some sandpaper. Yeah, some grit, sandpaper, some, grit. some jam, some work in the corners. Uh, but yeah, he has been getting abused by the first team offense pretty roundly. Now, this is why I'm not going to panic, though. Like I said, last week we talked about it with Nate. I don't think he's going to get us killed out of the gate. Because he's going to have safety help. They're going to be able to game plan for some of the things that the passing offenses we're going to see out of the gate have to throw at us. So if it takes a little while for things to click for him, I'm okay with that. Also, it's, so that's one. B, no one expected the kid to come out here and look like some kind of superstar. Did they? I mean, I've been banging this drum for weeks now. That part of the first round has produced more cornerback busts and journeymen than it has legitimate playmakers over the last 10 years. If there's anyone that I I think can give the rookie an upper hand, it's having coaches like Frazier and McDermott. Frazier, former cornerback. McDermott, former safety. 
And guys who have worked wonders with other defensive backs over the course of their careers. Michael Hyde and Jordan Poyer weren't thought of as much of anything in the NFL before landing here in Buffalo, were they? No, we got Poyer from the Browns and Hyde from the Packers. Yes. If they had this level of safety play, they would have kept, those teams would have kept them. Frazier and McDermott have molded these guys. He developed, uh, what's his face there? Uh, Levi Wallace. Undrafted out of Alabama. Into a useful cornerback, too. They turned Trey White, one of the rare late first-round draft picks to actually make a name for himself at cornerback over the last few years. They made him not just a useful player, but a pro bowler. So I, I think that it, it'll take time, but I think that he's in the best spot he could ask to be in. And four, our wide receivers are really, really fucking good. Elam's comfort zone is playing man press coverage based on his days at the U- University of Florida. Asking him to jump into his first week playing defense against the NFL's leader in yards versus man or press coverage over the last two seasons. I'm going to say that again. No wide receiver in the NFL has caught more yardage against man coverage than Stefan Diggs. And a cornerback who that's his comfort zone has to spend his first week in NFL action facing that guy. Like, that, that's not going to go well, is it? No. Like, when I think about that, what I think about is that Nate Bargetsy bit where he's talking about going down to South America to do shows. And they go, if you get bit by a snake... What you have to do is you got to catch the snake. Oh, yeah, cut its head off and no. bring the snake with you? Yeah, they were like, you got to catch the snake and bring it with you so that we know what anti And he goes, Wait, who told you this? He goes, I've, I've never caught a snake before. This is, it's not going to go good. Like, that's, I've already been bit once. That's like 15 more bites. Who told you to, who told you to tell me this? Did the snake tell you that this was the plan? Like, this is the worst-case scenario for this kid to walk into. So the fact that he's not doing well, or at least by the sound of it, having some struggles, yeah, I died. <laughs> I, that's the thing. I, I, It's not fair to him, is it? No. If anything, these lessons he's learning now might be good for him long-term. When Trey White was coming into the NFL, the Bills didn't have any superstar wide receivers. We had Zay Jones. Did you yeah, that got, the, no, that got the appropriate amount of silence it deserved. If did there was crickets, I wish we could have added him in there. Did you not see his contract he got with the Jaguars? That's fucked. Yeah, don't, blame, don't blame everyone else for their stupidity. But you saw it. Like, you saw it. He went into his very first game against a real superstar wide receiver, against A.J. Green, and he got it handed to him. For four quarters. Like, he fought, but he also gave up 100 and... What was it, like 130? Either 100 and... I can see this the screen. I was looking at it at PFF in my head. It was 130 or 160 yards and a touch. It was just bad. He got roughed up by A.J. Green in that game. Because it was the first time he'd ever seen an upper echelon wide receiver in the NFL. At least Kyrie Elam won't have that going against him. And hopefully the time he's spending taking his lumps now, or it's going to pay off in week one against Allen Robinson and Cooper Cup. And then when he's losing to Gabe Davis, he's a ridiculous size mismatch for most NFL corners. And just a week or two ago, there's a video of him squatting 405 pounds that people fell in love with. 
He wasn't doing full squats. They were kind of like uh, cheater squats. But he's a wide receiver. I don't want my guy blowing out his knees. Like, when I see Nick Chubb, everyone's like, look at Nick Chubb! He's squatting 600 pounds! I say to myself, if you hurt your knees showing off in the weight room, I'll never forgive you. Kiko Alonso did that. Do you remember? Kiko Alonso. We were at the bar after softball. It was a Tuesday night. We were at a bar called Honey's that then became the Anchor Bar, which I think it still is the Anchor Bar, on Maple and Sweet, uh, Sweet Home and Maple, over by University of Buffalo. And we were there after our softball game when everyone's phone went off with an ESPN update that Kiko Alonso, working out as his former, his alma mater, showing off in the weight room doing squats, tore his ACL. Done for the season in what late July, and the owner, the owner of the bar, came out and just gave everybody a free drink because he was like, "This is fucking terrible." <laughs> I think if you're ask most Bills fans, what the number one moment was of his Bills career, I think a lot of people would say somebody got a blowjob. Because of him. That's all I remember of Kiko. <laughs> I remember Somebody game, got blown for a jersey. I remember the there was a Ravens game where he was absolutely ridiculous. He had like multiple turnovers. He had a sack. He was just flying around. That that's what that was the game that spurred all of the like uh Kiko Alonso Chuck Norris comparisons. Yeah. And then obviously that disappeared and he stopped being a functional NFL football player after a while. But I don't want my guys squatting. But so he's clearly taking his previous struggles against outside coverage seriously. We've talked about how all of his production in the NFL so far has come between the tackles. Last year, what was it, like 80% of his touchdowns came when he was able to work up the seams and across the middle of the field. When he was on the outside, he he did okay, but he took way more of his snaps out there and still had less production. So he's focusing on all of the things he needs to do to beat outside coverage when cornerback, because cornerbacks, Chris, it's not the same. When you're a big guy like him on the inside, you have a natural advantage because of your size, your route running ability, your speed, and the fact that these guys are smaller than you and have to run and chase. When you're playing the boundary, these outside cornerbacks are smart. They know the sideline's their best friend. They can use that sideline to wall you off, and actually, like, it helps them. Your job as an outside wide receiver is made that much harder because they have the boundary on their side. So he's clearly trying to get better at this. So now he's a more powerful wide receiver that's already a size mismatch. That's a tough draw for a rookie in his first three to four days against NFL competition. So hopefully we see improvement over the course of camp, but that brings us to the second part of this conversation. If his struggles don't subside and he doesn't start to show that the Bills can trust him against top-flight NFL competition, who the hell can they afford to bring in? In front of you, Chris, is a screenshot of the, uh, from, uh, I believe it's Spotrack's free agency. Yeah, you got a couple of guys highlighted here, and uh, one that you can cross off altogether that you've highlighted is Sherman. He's with Amazon on their Thursday night package, but outside of... Well, this is from an old thing that I had just... Okay. Old off-season notes. Well, okay. So the first thing I noticed is that Mackenzie Alexander, who I guess last played for Minnesota, is the youngest one at 28. Because then you got 
AJ Bouye, who you highlighted at 30. Janoris Jenkins is 33. Joe Hayden, 33. And I can't see somebody from Cincinnati that's 30. So you got a, a ton of older corners that you're, you can bring in if you want to. Yeah, older corners. But this is the problem. Some of these guys probably do want to continue playing football. I mean, if you made it into your late 20s, early 30s as an NFL football player, you've got the competitive streak it takes to make it in the NFL, if that's what you want to do. But as most of these older guys are going to tell you, everybody has a price. Training camp takes a toll on your body. Football takes a toll on you, on your family. It's, it's a commitment. And some of these guys get to a point in their career where they say, I've made enough money. For me to continue doing this, the price has to be right. Not every single one of these guys is going to decide that chasing a ring with the Buffalo Bills is worth the veteran minimum. So I look at this and I, I see Janoris Jenkins. I call him that because he now goes by Jackrabbit Jenkins. I refuse to call an NFL football player Jackrabbit. Not doing it. Won't. Uh, Jenkins had the best coverage metrics and grades of anyone still out there in the free agent pool. But at 32, he just he signed a two-year deal, which is basically a one-year contract with Tennessee that had a $15 million value, essentially became a $7.5 million deal when all was said and done. The Bills aren't going to be able to offer anything close to that. So unless he absolutely loves the game and wants to chase that ring, yeah, I, there's a lot of guys who are going to be out of reach, Him, who fall into that same bucket, him included. People love this idea of Joe Hayden, and at least a few of those people wear Bill's uniforms. But I think if we were offering the kind of money he was looking for to play, he would already be here, wouldn't he? Probably. I kind of look at our situation with cornerbacks the same way that you saw, I think it was earlier today, where Julio Jones signed with Tampa. He had a couple of offers, a one-year deal, cheap, because he thought that's the best spot he can win a ring. If you're a cornerback, why aren't you putting that into who you think you can sign with? Because at 30, 31, 33, maybe you're just done. Yeah. Maybe you just don't want to. But if there's a contract... Hey, hey, Vontae Davis, it took him until week two at halftime to realize he didn't want to play anymore. <laughs> Fucking asshole. I'll saying. never forgive him for that. That also, that also could be a reason why they're staying away. <laughs> why they're not offering guys in their 30s because they're afraid that they'll... D- that's actually uh, a pretty good point that when you say it like that. They're afraid that they're going to retire at halftime. Like if we had a conversation with this guy and he seemed like he was half in and half out, we don't need that. We need a guy who's in. It's also interesting to note that Joe Hayden, for all you Joe Hayden stands, like, oh my God, why isn't he signed? His 2021 QBR against is the highest of any cornerback on the open market right now. Cornerbacks really did a number on Joe Hayden last year. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there so that you guys, like, I, I just funny to me. The one who makes sense is the one we can't have, which is Richard Sherman. I mean, he played his last season in Tampa for just $1 million and posted the lowest QBR against of any notable free agent. And he's gone out of his way to praise Brandon Bean in the past. Like, he would have made the most sense. Don't you think Brandon Bean probably tested those waters? Probably, but he probably got a sweet deal from Bezos. The biggest hurdle past the money 
I don't know. Any of these guys. Is just, and then the, here's the other facet, too. When we're talking about what's helping make the decision on these free agent cornerbacks, which one of these guys is going to say, hey, at 33, I'm going to go chase a ring? And oh, by the way, I'm going to go sign with a team. I don't need the money, right? If I made it to, if I'm still in the NFL and I'm viable at the age of 30, I've probably been given a starter level contract at some point. So I don't necessarily need the money. What's where would I want to go sign, and why would I be tripping all over myself to sign in a place like Buffalo where there's a Pro Bowl All Pro cornerback who's going to be coming back at some point in the season? He's their cornerback one. He will have that job. The team has already made it clear that there's guys ahead of me: Dane Jackson, Kyrie Elam. They view their development as important, which is why I'm not already signed to their team. So the second that White comes back. I could potentially just go back to the bench, Josh Norman style. Just find myself seated on the bench. Yeah, or to who's make- volunteering for that? If you think that you're talented enough to still play in the NFL at the age of thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three, or or to use like an NBA analogy, like Iverson, I don't come off the bench. Mm-hmm. You kidding me? That's it. I'm not signing to to eventually. Like I get, I could start week one, two, three, four, five. Because we could have Trey White on the pup. I'm not signing to end the season just coming off the bench. Yeah. there's it's. We talked about egos last week and how it's not always a bad thing. It's not. You have to have an ego to be an NFL wide receiver, don't you? To be like, I'm the best. I'm going to go out there and catch that fucking football. Oh, to be a quarterback, to be like, listen, I'm going to take this football and I'm going to shove it down the defense's throat. I can execute no matter what you do. You have to have an ego. Cornerback's the same way. I'm going to go up against this cornerback, this wide receiver. He's not getting shit. Look at Jalen Ramsey. People hate him. We make fun of him. But his ego, it helps. It's a big part of what he does. So, I don't know. I just feel like there's so many variables. And ultimately, this is all up to Kyrie Elam. It's all up to him, right? As to whether or not Brandon Bean has to start working the phones or if he can find some other way to utilize that last tiny little bit of cap space he has left at his disposal. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Suppose at some point, Chris, we do have to actually talk about on-field football and not just philosophical horse shit, right? Yeah, that's why people listen to us. (laughs) 
for your philosophy. <laughs> I'm a, what does he call you? What dad draw? No, Mr. Philosophizer. Yeah. <laughs> what do we think? Who do we think you are, Bruce Nolan? I mean, I sing better than him, but you're not that smart. <gasps> whoa, 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 whoa! I'm gonna sing circles around this guy. Oh, you've oh yeah, out of the uh, your mom's basement uh, uh, meetup over the weekend. Did somebody listen to that? What I cut up and put on Twitter? Oh, they all listened to it. We were all talking about it, and out of that came a great idea, Chris. Actually, spawned by Nate Geary. Nate Geary has decided that, which is funny because he's almost like a Brutus in this situation because he's his co-host Are you going on, on Food for Thought so on Friday nights. You're going on Food for Thought? Well, no, 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 no. Food for Thought over at the Buffalo Rumblings Network. You can find him and Bruce Nolan and Nate Geary chopping it up, acting like they're both foodies. Listen, I could, I could cook circles around both of them. It's hilarious. It's laughable even. And Nate agreed with me that it is kind of funny, that <laughs> there's it's humorous, but... What we decided is that, you know how Bruce did his musical podcast? Yeah. We need to do a Muzak podcast, which is almost a direct parody of his podcast. He said the only way we're ever going to bait Bruce into doing a, a karaoke competition is if we really, like, we've, we've got to bait him into it. We've got to draw him out. So we're going to do our own musical podcast, and you're going to have to produce that, Chris. God. <laughs> I think we were on like our fifth or sixth round of drinks at this point. I think it's a phenomenal idea. So I'm going to have to get you. So this is what's going to have to have happen. I'm going to have to get you singing a cappella and then match it to instrumental of whatever song you were singing. Correct. So Bruce did. I've heard of the musical, so he rewrote his own lyrics <laughs> to certain popular songs. Oh, I've got them, and in fact, in some cases, I'll bring my guitar in here, and I will actually play. I've already got one that's set to BTO, taking care of business. Oh yeah, Chris, it's gonna get wild. Taking again. care of Bruce. <laughs> it's gonna, you know, folks. This is what happens when you get a bunch of us content creators out in the public space. And I believe we can. We're just jerk offs. And we, well, what happens is we get drunk, but we never get any cooler. We just stay the same dorks that you hear here on these podcasts. We'll be able Except to. Except we're out in public. We're out in the wild. Scaring we'll, regular individuals. We'll be able to plug the guitar into the mixer. Oh, dude, I can't wait. I can't wait for this. I'm so excited. Keep your eye out for that. But so, philosophizing, right? We're done. Let's talk a little bit about what, what's actually been going on in the field. And if there's a, a big one, a big one that I think is, because again, I'm not going to try to dig into the minutiae of some of this stuff. I'm not count. I'm not there, first of all. And when I hear a reporter going, oh, this player got this many routes with this group, I guess, like maybe later in camp it matters. What, because right now, Chris, everyone's just trying to find their footing, right? The conditioning, the pads haven't even come on yet. So the offensive line stuff, it's offensive defensive line stuff is it's notable, but also it doesn't have the same amount of weight it would coming off of a preseason game, right? Yeah. Okay. But there is something that's come out of all the reporting that's coming out of training camp right now that I find incredibly encouraging. The fact that even if they're not all showing out like all-stars, the speed and athleticism of this year's rookie draft class and what it was touted for is absolutely as good as advertised. Elam has had his struggles. The staff made him wear boxing gloves yesterday. 
<laughs> no, he had enough been, to not grab. Because he's been grabbing the hell out of everybody. Him and that, that was his. That's I guess what started his fight with Stefan Diggs. And again, jam, sandpaper, grit. I like the fact that the kid didn't back down. You're Stefan Diggs. Fuck you. I'm Kyrie Elam. Nice to meet. N- nice for you to meet me. <laughs> but they made him wear boxing gloves so that he actually couldn't grab anybody. And that was a big knock on him coming out in the draft. They said in college he was just real handsy and that that wouldn't translate well to the NFL. But every person who's been watching will tell you that he looks every bit the athlete that you were getting. 4-4 speed, quick quick cuts. A lot of his struggles are mental right now, not physical. James Cook has made multiple head-turning plays, which were a byproduct of him simply being faster than anyone else on the field once he got the ball in his hands. They're talking runs in the red zone, check down passes. He's shown that all he needs is the ball and some open space. And his top gear is pretty damn impressive. I did get a chance to see it myself. And it was, Chris, I haven't, I had a moment, right? Back in 20, ooh, we got to go back. Devonta Smith was a wide receiver still at Alabama. So you're talking 2019, 2020, maybe? 2020, does that sound right, Chris? Google it. Sure. Chris, you're the Jamie here. Google that. What do you want me to Google? What year was Devonta Smith's last collegiate season? Or what year was he drafted in? So the reason that I ask, though, that I bring up Devonta Smith is because there was a game Alabama played against, I can't, it was some, it was an SEC team. And they threw a I think it was Mac Jones, so it would have had to be his final year. Uh, what year was he drafted? 2020. So 2020 was his senior season. Perfect. So it was 2020, which was Mac Jones playing quarterback. He's coming on a crossing route, and he catches the ball about eight yards from the line of scrimmage. And then he's running. And there's five guys on the back end of that defense that could have stopped him. Except they legitimately can't because he's so fast that nobody can get the angle on him, and he just runs 65 yards for a touchdown. And I start thinking to myself, like, that's the moment it hit me. That's speed. I now have, like, it's the first time I've had an appreciation for what high-level speed like that actually does to a defense. And then Lamar Jackson all of a sudden made sense because they go, if he's running around out there in the open field like that, he's too fast for your safeties to cut the angle on. He's too elusive. He's too quick. James Cook has that. He has that gear that you... As a defender, you're used to a certain speed that you can react to. He's quicker than that. And so you as a defender are put in an incredibly compromising position because you're trying to break down and take the right angle on a tackle, but he's already shifting away from you. And you just can't compete with that. I got to see it in person at camp. And then I think the thing that I saw, which was just a little checkdown pass that he ended up taking like 15, 16 yards... Change of direction skills once he like starts to gear up, and then he and then he flatlines as soon as he makes his first cut and somebody misses, he can gear up quickly. It's catching everybody's eyeballs, and no other running back on the roster, and no, like he's it's something no other running back on the roster currently has, something no running back Josh Allen has ever played with in his career here in Buffalo has ever had. Lashawn McCoy. Best running back since 20, 
since 2000? In the Bills uniform. LaShawn yeah. McCoy, best running back? Yeah, speaking of that Kiko Alonso we spoke of earlier. Yeah, they traded Thank him you. straight up, which is hilarious. McCoy in Josh Allen's rookie season was hampered with injuries for chunks of the season, and he only got 700 total yards from scrimmage and three touchdowns. So he clearly wasn't the LaShawn McCoy in his prime that we'd gotten used to seeing. So this is going to be the best running back that he's ever gotten to play with, and this guy is a supreme athlete. Terrell Bernard, complimented multiple times for having the athleticism to stick with Dawson Knox, Singletary, Cook, in coverage. Which, for a small coverage linebacker, is exactly the kind of thing that we need to be hearing about him at this point in his early development. I don't need to hear that, oh, his processing and he's so quick and he's a savvy, he's full, I don't, I don't give a shit about that. Is he fast enough to run with these guys? Because if he is, you can work with that. You can work with that as a third round draft pick. Now, if he was our first round draft pick, a la Duran Lee, Keith Ellison 2.0, I called it! Deron Lee sucked. He's not even in the NFL anymore. Terrell Bernard is a third-round pick saying, listen, we're going to take a super athletic off-ball linebacker to try to back up Matt Milano. Not a bad idea. And he's at least proving that he can do it from an athletic standpoint. It's going to get harder when the pads go on and there's real blocking. But to know that when you keep him clean, he's adept at finding a spot and battling with bigger, faster targets... That's encouraging. Khalil Shakir is another one of those fifth-round picks. There's one of these every year, I think, Chris. Every Bills fan wants to root for every single draft pick, and they imagine and they, they bend over backwards and really work to conjure up reasons to do so. Whether it's Nate Geary and his love affair with Isaiah Hodgins. Remember that last week when we ambushed him with Isaiah Hodgins is going to be better than Gabe Davis? Yeah, that was a hot take. Or, heck, podcasters who decide that uh, roster lock Daryl Johnson is all of a sudden a thing. Well, let's not leave out Brett Coleman, friend of the show. Like, he creates his own shit, and if you t- if you know Brett and you talk to him, you know, he'll be like, oh, this 15-minute video I did, it took me 260 hours to do. And he devoted time like that this offseason to do a video on his film room channel for Shakir. It's like... He believes that guy's going to be a good player. And so... I don't know. So far, simply from a speed and technique standpoint, Shakir is showing that that preseason buzz and all that zeal everybody had for applauding the pick and love... It has legitimacy because he's putting on a goddamn show. His footwork is being described as veteran-like, with attention being given to how many free releases he's gotten because off the line, he can cut away from a defender and just gear up to hit his 4-4 speed. He's made multiple difficult catches away from his body and behind him, showing that for a small guy, this ridiculous contested catch rate that he had in the NCAA might not be window dressing and just draft bluster. It might actually translate some to the NFL. And just speed. Again, like James Cook... The guy is fucking fast. I saw that with my own two eyes, and it shocked me how effortless it looked. The ball got snapped. He was setting up in his route, and all of a sudden he was 15 yards downfield. And it never looked like he was trying to run that hard. You've seen people who, I'm sure Chris in hockey, you have 
people you've seen who skate that way. You see them and they're moving so fast, but they're not they don't look like they're trying that hard. That would be like a McDavid. Yeah. That's what Khalil Shakir looks like when he's running. For anyone who can't get to camp and see it, he doesn't look like he's trying that hard. But he'll hit 15 yards, 20 yards downfield before you realize it's happening. It's wild to me. I think this is all important. In 2021, the onus of the draft was filling the trenches with size and athleticism. And you can make a case that it worked. Rousseau, number one in the NFL in solo run stops among edge players. Basham, now he's basically locked into a solid rotational role and he's got scheme flexibility because he's big enough that you can kick him inside. Like on pass rushdowns, you can play him over a guard and he's got some natural advantages there. Spencer Brown, he's a starting right tackle with size and a proven run blocking ability downfield, which very few of our offensive linemen last year had. Tommy Doyle, likely option at swing tackle. He's cheap. He's effective. The team trusted him to block a ton last year. And he's looked pretty good in 2022's camp so far. That draft had a theme. The team executed it well. It seems to be paying dividends for the roster this year. In 2022, there was another obvious theme, which was just speed. After another year of losing to Kansas City, right? Where Kansas City's offense got the best of you. Why? Because they just have speed. And unfortunately, you you have all the technique in the world. Your number one defense in the NFL gave up 600 yards of offense because they have speed and you don't. You saw it again. You were the best and you got beat by them because they were faster than you. They had more rare athleticism than you did. And at the end of the day, you you can only paper over so much of that. The front office, I don't know. They, they... The front office looked at our offense last year and some of their infrequent struggles, and they went into the draft with a mindset that whatever position they decided to go with, they were going to target the best athletic profiles they could land, with a priority given to top-end speed both vertically and laterally. So far through camp, it seems to be paying off, because Chris, rookies tend to fade, right? Everyone gets all excited. That, that's usually what happens. We love draft season because we get to hear about how awesome these players are going to be. And then all of these, you know, every team has, not every team, but most teams have at least four or five draft picks. Then you go into training camp and you stop hearing about two-thirds of the NFL draft class. They cease to exist, correct? Yeah. Instead of fading into that mix, as so many other rookies do this time of year, our rookies are flashing, if only because they're so fast you can't help but notice them. Do I think that that means they're all going to pan out and be world-beater NFL players? Hell no. But what I do think is that this mix of rare speed and skill spread out at every position, from cornerback, running back, linebacker, wide receiver, it's it's showing that it might be NFL caliber. Enough so that when lined up against veterans who have proven they can do what they do on Sundays, they can be relied on to do it, these rookie skill sets are still noteworthy. And when you're talking about fourth and fifth round picks, you can't ask for any better than that. The fact that we're talking about Khalil Shakir at all, like that's that's noteworthy because usually, look at Marquez Stevenson. How often did we talk about him last year? Almost never. We talked about him once after the preseason game against the Bears where he had the punt return for a touchdown. 
So as these, and then he ran into a black hole, and we never heard from him again. So as these kids grow, it's going to give our coaches some really fantastic options in terms of scheme and matchup in the preseason that they can use to not only test the limitations or lack thereof of our offense and our defense from a personnel standpoint, but it's going to afford each of these guys a legitimate chance to not only make the final 53. I mean, at this point, you can probably pencil in our first four picks, at least from this year's class, just based on the way they're playing and just based on what it costs to bring them in. But you might look at them to make a real impact at some point this season whenever the staff feels like they're ready. I'm picturing Matt Milano. We all knew in training camp he was better than Ramon Humber, but it took until the Raiders game, I think, like week five or six, before McDermott was finally comfortable giving him the giving him the role. Well, these kids are showing that they're at least going to be in the mix. Which I think, doesn't that just tell you, like, the fact that this is stepping to the forefront of conversation it's probably pretty legitimate. Yeah. And then if I have to end with anything that I saw with my own two eyes from training camp, Reed Ferguson looks fucking jacked. This might be the most muscular I've ever seen Reed, Chris. I'm disappointed in you. Why? Well, I'll just grab the board here. And as you can see, I'll show you third one down. Third one down. I'll put that on the on the. Oh the yeah, Matt Ariza to hold the first field goal or extra point attempt. You made no mention of Matt Ariza. Yeah, because he didn't hold it. I got to see the kicking did get, drills. Did you get to see his leg. I got to see the kicking drills. The first holder was Matt Hawk. Matt Ariza had his helmet on and was just kind of milling around like an element, like like a high, like at a high school dance when you're in like ninth grade and you didn't come with anyone so you don't really know what to do with yourself and you just kind of hang out while the cool kids do shit while the cool kids talk to girls and dance and go get cookies and punch he just kind of milled around yeah it was not Matt Ariza I took pictures in case you doubt me do you want to see him or do you trust me yeah I'll trust you allegedly how was his punting? Well, this was the best part. Was he hitting him to the fucking moon? Matt Hawk has more hang time than Matt Ariza to this point in practice. Ariza has a Ariza has a giant leg. He'll boom him out of the back of the end zone, but that's not what you're asking these guys to do. If you go over to NewYorkUpstate.com, you can read about how Matt Hack's uh, Hack. Yeah, he's Hack. His his hang time has actually caused a couple muff punts. Because they're, it's, they're hanging in the air so long that the returners are getting nervous and they're making mistakes as the coverage units are coming down the field. Meanwhile, Ariza has been booting them just straight, almost like line drive kicks, just straight out of the back of the end zone. It's, if anything, I feel like drafting this kid and bringing him in. Everyone just assumed, like, okay, that's it, right? That's it. We're going to have this the punt god. He's going to come in with his giant leg. I feel like Hawk took that personally. <laughs> I feel like he went to work on his own craft and said, all right, you want to see some shit? I'll show you how it gets done, rookie. I'm telling you, Arise is going to be on the 53. Ah, I can't wait. I can't wait for you to have to drink another Seagram's. You owe me one for this. I love it. I fucking love it. Guys, this has been a fun show. We get to talk about this. Obviously, there's winners and losers, right? Well, tune in, if you're listening to this the night it airs, Thursday or Friday, 
Tune in Friday night as we drop our next podcast talking about winners and losers, not just from the Buffalo Bills, but from around the NFL throughout the first week of NFL training camps. We just couldn't find the time to piggyback it into this show. We don't want to Joe Rogan you guys and give you a two and a half hour podcast. So with that, we're going to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your week one training camp rock pile report.